The Empress Wu Zetian. Wu Zetian was the first, the last, and the only woman in China's long history to become an emperor and ruled in her own name rather than behind the scenes as some empress dowager or some other hidden power behind the throne. She lived a very long life, considering the times, living past her 80th year. She was a historical person from the Tang Dynasty period, considered by many scholars to be China's most golden of ages. She lived from 625 to 705 A.D. The Tang Dynasty was the period from 618 to 907, uh, so her period came right at the start of the Tang Dynasty. Like some of the other characters from ancient Chinese history, Wu Zetian was the stuff of these Chinese imperial soap operas beloved by Asians around the world. There's no question that she lived, and all the names and dates from her reign are very well documented. But this was about 1,300 years ago when she was living, a good 1,275 years before CNN. So the sordid details of her life that we'll look at, of course, are rather mythical and open to interpretation. Her life was one of privileged upbringing, becoming a concubine in the imperial household at 13 or 14, and after bouncing back from the brink of disaster, she lives a long life of the most horrific political and palace intrigue until the year 683 when the emperor died, and at the age of 58 or so, she starts ruling from behind the throne, which was occupied by one of her weaker sons who was easier to manipulate. Many gruesome deaths later, she becomes emperor ruling in her own name in 690 AD, and even establishing her own dynasty, which didn't survive her. And her reign is just as mysterious as her rise to power. Depending on which historian you listen to, she was either a vile creature of the worst sort, or a great reformer who reigned during a period of peace and great prosperity, and who advanced the equality of women and ushered in a bureaucratic system based on merit rather than the connections to the imperial family. There's no way to tell, and the earliest source documents came from Confucian sources centuries after her death, and everyone knows how Confucius viewed women. Not very highly. So let's look at her long and interesting life. Wu Zetian was actually born Wu Zhao in Wenshui County, about 50 miles southwest of Taiyuan, the present-day capital of Shanxi province. She was the daughter of Wu Shihuo, who was an official close to the Tang Dynasty founder, uh, Gaozu, also known as Li Yuan. Her mother's family were something like the Kennedys of their day, the uh, former rulers of the Sui Dynasty that she grew up in a very aristocratic household and was taught reading, writing, and music. The second emperor of the Tang Dynasty, Li Shimin, took Wu Zhao as his concubine. Li Shimin was the son of the Tang Dynasty founder, and he took the name of Tai Zong. She was 13 or 14 years old when she became the emperor's concubine. She entered the harem ranked of the fifth grade, which was also called the Ren. The whole system of concubines was very structured, and the emperor could have as many as 120 or so if he wanted. The Tang concubine ranking system had nine ranks, so Wu Zhao didn't come in at the bottom, but she wasn't what you'd call high-ranking. The top-ranked concubines were the Fei rank, or the first rank. These were divided into four levels, Gui Fei, Shu Fei, De Fei, and Xian Fei. Then you had the second rank, the Bin rank, who had nine different levels. And after that, there was one concubine per rank, and Wu Zhao was the uh, Zheng Wu Pin, or fifth rank, called the Cai Ren. So when she entered the Emperor Taizong's harem, she was given the name Wu Mei Niang, 
She entered as a teenager, competing against hardened veterans to the game of palace intrigue. She had to learn fast. She had some kind of relationship that she apparently cultivated with one of the emperor's younger sons named Li Zhi. Li Zhi was declared crown prince in 643. Wu Zhao, or Wu Meinyang as she was called now, was the crown prince's stepmother. As her rotten luck would have it, the second Tang emperor, her benefactor, died in 649 after supposedly drinking some elixir of life that poisoned him instead. They had no children, so, as per the custom of the time, Wu Meinyang was sent to a nunnery to live out the rest of her days as a Buddhist nun. So she heads off to Ganye Temple, resigned to her fate. Now again, none of this is documented in any shape or form that can be taken as fact. For almost every turn of her life, there are at least two diametrically opposite points of view, and nothing can be accepted as true or even probably true. This whole period between the time of Taizong's death and the time when fate intervened and the Zhe, who by now was the third Tang Emperor, Gaozong, is anyone's guess. So the story goes that Emperor Gaozong, who used to be called Li Zhe, visited the Ganye Temple, and there's this whole story about how they saw each other and he was reunited with her, this time as emperor and not as the crown prince. Who knows? Whatever the case, after serving some time as a nun, the Emperor Gaozong arranges for Wu Meinyang to go back to the palace. There was no stopping her now. She now had a powerful benefactor who made her a Zhao Yi, the highest-ranked concubine of the second level. So this is the year 650, 651, around then, and she's 24, 25 years old. Now the fun begins. Wu Meinyang returns to the palace, and she has two main rivals who are ready and waiting to do battle with her. One was the emperor's wife, known as Empress Wang, and the other was the highest-ranking concubine, known as Xiao Shufei. Actually, this would be Xiao, her family name, with Shufei being added onto her name, signifying her rank as a concubine of the emperor. Now, this is where the history gets kind of murky, or murkier. The documents handed down over the past thousand years have all kinds of opposing stories about what happened. I'm sure you're not listening to this podcast to get stuck in the quagmire of the minutiae of Chinese history and all the names and books and treaties and county officials. So let me just plot on with what, air quotes, they say about the next nine years when she became the power behind the throne and ten years beyond that when she herself becomes the emperor in 690. So, Wu Meinyang was a hardened veteran, 24, 25 years of age. After spending a certain amount of time, her head shaved, living in a Buddhist convent called Ganye Si. As I said, she had these two rivals over there. Uh, one was Empress Wang and the number one concubine, Xiao Shufei. Well, she had them done in, so to speak. The number one concubine, Xiao Shufei, this was Gao Zong's favorite, and she needed to eliminate her. A bunch of palace intrigue and skullduggery later, Xiao Shufei is out and Wu Meinyang is in with a vengeance. And then comes the defining moment of the life of who we would know later as Wu Zetian. She had a daughter with Gao Zong. This baby died, and the two versions of the story are that uh, Wu Meinyang, a.k.a. Wu Zetian, strangled her own baby to frame Empress Wang. Or the other version is Empress Wang killed the baby. This was about 654 AD. 
whatever the case may be, it happened and happened in a very suspicious way that sort of implicated the jealous and childless Empress Wang in the murder of the Emperor and Wu Minyang's daughter. Even though the Emperor loved his Empress, he had to do what he had to do. So now, after 654, Wu Meiniang now has two less dangerous rivals to deal with, and she's growing more powerful by the day. One thing to keep in mind, remember she came from aristocracy and was well-educated and spent her teens growing up as a fifth-grade concubine in the palace, so she picked up a lot of knowledge of statecraft along the way. Gao Zong was no dummy and greatly relied on her input in matters of state. She was participating fully in the running of government affairs. And I forgot to mention, she got rid of Empress Wang and Consort Xiao, but she still had an army of powerful and deceitful court officials who couldn't stand her and knew how deadly a foe she could be one day. And how. Boy, 1,300 years or so later, Chairman Mao's third wife, Jiang Qing, sure learned a thing or two from Wu Zetian about how to get back at all those who defied you on the way up. So keep that in mind, too. And these officials were mostly all Confucian, and in that philosophy, the woman's place was in the home, and she should keep her mouth shut. Anyways, to end the story about Wu Meinyang's two defeated rivals, she had the emperor cut off their arms and legs and drown them in a vat of wine. Or so the story goes. So she gains even more power by bearing two sons with Gaozong. You had Li Hong, born in 654, and Li Xian, born a year or so later. And there's some sidebar about Li Xian not really being Wu Meinyang's son, but actually her sister's, who was also uh, uh, serving in the court. Anyways, always something like that with Wu Zetian. Always a juicy story behind every fact and opinion about her life. She formally becomes Gao Zong's empress in 655 or 656. Gao Zong was sort of forced to deal with one of these Henry VIII situations. He wanted to promote Wu Meinyang, but too many of the officials at the imperial court, from the highest-ranking Xiang to the lowest guy on the totem pole, all fought him on this, and lost. And like anyone who tried to defy Chairman Mao 1,300 years later, they didn't fare well in the aftermath. And the newly crowned Empress Wu had a personal hand in most of these falls from power, and later destruction, no doubt. Let's skip to the big year, 660. Gao Zong, who no doubt lived all the excesses that being Emperor of China entitled you to, at the tender age of 32, had a series of strokes that basically leaves him incapacitated for the rest of the 23 years he had left on this earth. And all this time, who do you think ruled in his name? Yeah, you guessed it. From a screen behind the throne, there she sat, speaking for the propped-up emperor on the throne, who, due to his infirmity, could not execute his responsibilities. Later on, it said, after a while, they didn't even prop the emperor up on the throne anymore. It just lay empty, and the empress gave the orders from behind the screen. And by the way, to put some good old-fashioned Tang Dynasty spin on the arrangement, they were officially joined together as one, and referred to as Er Sheng, or the Two Sages. This sort of justified Empress Wu to speak on behalf of the increasingly more and more disabled emperor. So, over the next 23 years, until Emperor Gaozong finally dies in 683, she assembled her team and supposedly put together this dream team of ministers and whatnot who advised her well and carried out all her reforms and ideas. It was as if, after four decades of clawing her way to the top, she finally got there and became a rather boring, benign empress, who later carried out all kinds of reforms, most notably uh, to women and in agriculture and the imperial exam system. She lowered taxes. Overall, it seems everyone agrees she was 
a very competent ruler once she reached the mountaintop, and all the bloodiest aspects of her rise to power were all behind her. She wasn't a Stalin or Mobuto Sesiseko by any account. So, in 683, she installs the weaker of her two sons on the dragon throne and rules through him as Empress Dowager. She's now pushing 60 years old. I won't go into the details of the next seven years, interesting though they are. Let's just say it was the usual skullduggery with her sons jockeying for position to take over the throne, maybe a little too enthusiastically. Her sons didn't fare well having Wu Zetian as a mother. She killed the eldest one, deposed another son, and another lived under house arrest, but later did become emperor. She declares herself emperor in 690 and calls herself Shengsheng Huangdi, or Shengsheng Emperor. It's also in 690 where she takes the name officially as Wu Zetian and declared an end to the Tang Dynasty and established the Zhou Dynasty, or what we know as the Second Zhou Dynasty, since there already was one. She moves the capital from Chang'an to Luoyang in Henan province, near the present-day capital of Zhengzhou. It's maybe a two-hour car ride from there. She reigned for another 15 years, and as she got old and feeble, she was overthrown in a palace coup. Old hat for her, she should have seen it coming. And she died on December 16, 705, which made her about 80 years old. She had been in power pretty much from the point she became empress in 656. That meant she ruled for 27 years, and prior to that, didn't rule, but was influential at court and in getting her way. So you could say she was a power to be reckoned with in the Tang Dynasty for eh, about half a century. This was a period of vast wealth, and everyone lived off the fat of the land. There was great territorial expansion, and the Tang court had embassies as far away as Persia and Byzantium. The Chinese defeated the Korean kingdoms of Koguryo and Pekje and unified the country under the kingdom of Shila, who were allies of the Tang. The Tibetans and Turks, whose warriors were a stone in the boot during Wu Zetian's reign, were soundly defeated. China was all-powerful and living in a golden age. For women and farmers, she supposedly did a lot, although I've read accounts that said just the opposite. She's credited with allowing women to be financially independent from their husbands and to have their own wealth and their own name. Women were educated in philosophy, politics, and ethics. They were permitted to divorce. They didn't have to bind their feet anymore. She advanced the cause of Buddhism greatly, and it replaced Taoism as the state favorite. The Buddhist church was immensely powerful and influential during the period of Wu Zetian's reign. She had farming manuals published and disseminated information on farming techniques and promoted labor-saving farm tools. She reduced taxes, and many farmers were allowed to keep more grain to sell. I also heard she broke the backs of the peasants with her taxes, so you never know. She chose ministers based on merit rather than who their relative was or what their connection was in the palace. Wu Zetian's own palace secretary was a woman poet. She changed the imperial exam system in 669 so that it was open to all and not just to the aristocracy. This allowed the government bureaucracy to shift from being controlled by aristocrats to being controlled by scholars. She actually interviewed imperial exam candidates personally. She was a little bad, a little good, or a lot bad, or a lot good. Depends on whose version of Wu Zetian you're studying. One thing's for real, she was indeed a very colorful, historic figure who became more of a legend than someone we could really get our hands around and study. 
She was buried near the Gaozong Emperor in Qianling, which is the site of the Tang Imperial Burying Grounds. Her tomb was located and discovered by archaeologists, but like that of the first emperor, Qin Shi Huangdi, it remains unexcavated to this day. Her life was a real bonanza for all these major Chinese television and movie production houses. One of the best imperial serial dramas I ever watched was based on her life. So, I hope you enjoyed that. This is Laszlo Montgomery once again wishing you a pleasant and fond farewell from the quaint little college town of Claremont, California, home of the always popular and quintessentially American Claremont Village. Join us next week at the China History Podcast for another exciting episode.